put the lapel on. Uh, if it's, I don't think I'm gonna be running. I don't know. Rick Jerdak's sitting there. I might run down the aisle one time to point in his face, but I don't know. <laughs> First Peter chapter number five. Bring a message tonight on why do we suffer? Why is it that Christians? Why do we suffer? Why do we go through the things that we have to go through? Suffering is not necessarily a, a result of a. Um, of something that we have done. Obviously, there's the law of reaping and sowing, but that's uh, just because some, a lot of times in, uh, we'll hear people say, well, they must have done something because they're going through this, and that's not always the case. And uh, tonight, we're going to dig a little deeper into God's Word, and we're going to uh, we're going to study uh, on this topic. I think I'm going to try to use the lapel, if that's okay, and I'm going to slide this over. I'm getting some feedback. Is that all right, brother? Let's see here. Are we... Am I muted, brother? Are we on? Is that good? All right. I'm getting some feedback from this mic, so if that's okay, I'm going to point that. You got it? All right. Thank you, brother. All right. First Peter chapter number 5. We'll, be, we'll read two verses. Verse number 10. The Bible says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, we come before you tonight. We're grateful, Lord, for your many blessings. Lord, we're thankful for your word. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for the cross of Calvary, Lord, and the empty tomb, God, and the hope that we have in eternity, Lord, because of what you did for us on the cross of Calvary and resurrecting out of that grave, Lord, and we're thankful for that. Uh, Lord, we do pray tonight, Lord, for Pastor Smart and his wife, Lord, and his family. We pray for them as they'll be traveling back tomorrow. We pray for safe travels for them. Uh, Lord, we do pray for the nation of Israel, as the brother mentioned here tonight, and the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the hedge of protection about them. Lord, we pray for the, uh, our leaders, Lord, that you'll give them wisdom. Lord, we pray that you'll use this time to bring others to you. And Lord, we pray the, your blessings upon the reading of your word tonight. Lord, we're thankful, uh, Lord, on a, on a Wednesday night, Lord, there's so many people to be here after working hard all day. And Lord, we're thankful to come into your house tonight, Lord, and just take some time, Lord, and open our eyes that we may behold great things out of your law, Lord. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. We ask you to hide us behind the cross, empty us of self, and fill us with your spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. In verse number 10, uh, verse number 10 of 1 Peter chapter 5, he uses four terms here. And he says, uh, But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And I want to, I want to, what I'm going to do tonight is we're going to dig into the word, to, to God's word, and we're going to study through some scriptures, we're going to look at a few different places, and at the end I'll, I'll tie it together, but I, I'm going to kind of preach this sermon backwards. So this is the, uh, I'm going to kind of give you the closing and the answer, which is found here in 1 Peter chapter number 10, of why is it that we suffer? Why do we go through bad things? Why is, as saved born-again Christians, why do we have to go through the, the things that we, we deal with and we counter in life? Uh, I'll give you a, a quick testimony real quick. I was born and raised in a Christian home. I was saved as a young boy, as an eight-year-old boy. I was homeschooled uh, my entire life and, and was, just, was very blessed with the parents that I've had and the background and the raising and the structure that I've had, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, my wife, very similar background. Her dad was a pastor in Pensacola, Florida, saved as an eight-year-old girl, grew up, same testimony as myself, very similar. And... Uh, we both uh, had waited and, and sought the Lord, sought the Lord very, very, very seriously about the Lord's will for our life and the world and the, and the future uh, that God would have for us. And 
uh, before before we met, all through my 20s, because I wanted to be married. I believed that the Lord would have. Brother Rick Jodek, you remember. Uh, I've known you for many years. I wanted to be married. I, I was seeking God's will. What was his way, uh, way for my life? And I was seeking the one that God had for me. I also knew that marriage wasn't my final destination, just like having children or anything else. It should be a part of what God's plan is for our life. And my, the Lord, uh, just a little later in life, I was 32 years old when I met Laura, and it was pretty instant. When we, when we met, I knew pretty quick that that was what the Lord's plan was. And uh, we were married in June of 2020, right during COVID. And as awful as having a COVID marriage was, uh, or I'm sorry, a COVID engagement was, uh, trying to get all those things planned, the marriage, it was wonderful for a wedding and a honeymoon and all of that. It's another st- story for another time. And Leyland's amen to me right now. But uh, we had a, so we were married in June of 2020, and we had been told that uh, it would be very difficult, probably wouldn't be able to have children, that was okay. Uh, We had done things the biblical way, and we'd been obedient and sought the Lord in our relationship, and uh, we were, we were, uh, we believed that we had a a relationship that was God-honoring. So when we were married, about two months after that, uh, my wife was just got really sick and she wasn't feeling well. So this would have been about August of 2020. And uh, we found out that we were expecting a little girl. And we'd just been married a very short time. And I'm like, I'm 33 years old. I'm not old enough to be a daddy. But um, the Lord blessed us with uh, a pregnancy. And then at 18 weeks, is the week of Thanksgiving, I'll never forget it, Laura went into labor uh, and actually started delivering in the car on the way to the hospital, to the emergency room. It was a very tragic situation. And it was a, it was a, it was just a hard time. It's something that was completely unexpected. We didn't, uh, didn't understand everything. So it was okay. Sought the doctors, but uh, Laura and I just took that time, and the Lord really used it in our hearts and lives to draw us closer. We'd only been married at this point by, for six months, but uh, the Lord drew us closer to each other. And then about a year after that, uh, Laura came back to me and uh, said we were expecting again, and that would have been in uh, November of 21. And then in June of 2000, uh, of July of 2022, uh, on his due date, our son Hudson, uh, she went into labor. Everything was fine. There was no problems, uh, no issues at all uh, with the pregnancy. Uh, it was just a really good pregnancy, but um, Hudson passed away at his birth. And that was a hard time, and, it, and it's still a hard time because we, we still love our son, and uh, it was just such a difficult time because when you go from one emotional extreme literally in a matter of seconds to the complete opposite because you're there you're having I mean everything you're supposed to be bringing a baby home and uh, things didn't work out that way but the Lord I say that to give you a little bit of background my wife and I and then last year uh, the Lord blessed us again so uh, and Leyland was born five days before Hudson's birthday so we were able to bring her home and she was there with us she was uh, five days old when we celebrated her big brother's first birthday in heaven. So that was a blessing, and she is a a joy and a blessing to us. But I say that to give you a little bit of a background of things that we go through as as Christians, and why is it that in such a short period of time, because we we did things the right way, what is the reason? Why do we have to, as Christians, go through and suffer? And this this is a sermon that the Lord has given me since Hudson's passing, and I've never, I'm not one at all to to preach sermons over and over. I've actually preached this particular sermon a couple of times, and my wife and I, we were talking about that on the way here, uh, but this is just what the Lord has laid on my heart tonight, and I believe that's what the Lord would have for us to, to go over. So 1 Peter chapter 5, we've read verse number 10, and he points out these four words, and he says, to make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. 
So that's the closing at the beginning of the sermon. So let's look at these words, and then we will uh, dig into this a little deeper. The word perfect here in 1 Peter chapter number t- uh, 5 and verse 10. I want you to look with me in the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. He says here that we are, that after you've suffered a little while, make you perfect. Well, let's, what is it with the word perfect? In Ephesians chapter number 4, uh, I, would, I would encourage you uh, to, to familiarize yourself with this passage. We won't read the whole uh, the beginning part of the chapter for time's sake, but I do want you to, I do want to point out a couple of verses. In verse number four of Ephesians chapter four, the Apostle Paul speaking says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. And then verse number seven, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he laid captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is that? But uh, he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same above, uh, is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So he's telling here that he's given us these spiritual gifts, and you can find this in Romans chapter number twelve. You can find it in First Corinthians chapter, First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, thirteen and fourteen regarding these spiritual gifts. And here in Ephesians chapter four, he tells us in verse eleven, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He's given us, if you're saved here tonight, and you're born again, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. He's given you some spiritual gifts. He's given us different ones. Not everyone is called to be a pastor. Brother Tim Smart is the one that God has gifted. Brother Tim Smart is the one that God has called to be the pastor of Maranatha Baptist Church. Uh, If I tried to get over on that piano, Miss Joe, I would make a mess of it. I'm sure thankful that God's given you the gift that he has because it's for the perfecting of the saints, look at verse 12, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If I tried to get on that piano, I would absolutely make a mess of it. I don't understand it. My little brother's tried to teach me. Laura's tried to teach me. I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. That's not an area that God has gifted me or enabled me in, and that's totally okay. He's given us all these different gifts in the body of Christ, and the purpose is verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then verse 13, he says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you know what God's doing in our hearts and lives and what God's doing in, through the, the sufferings and through the things that we have to go through as Christians? He's completing us and he's making us perfect in Christ. Because in Romans chapter number 8, you know verse number 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then verse 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And that's not to go to heaven, not to go to hell. No, he says, For whom he did know, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his dear son. God is working in our hearts and life, and he's predestinated, according to his foreknowledge, he's predestinated us to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ so that we can be, in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what God's doing in our life. He's making us like Christ. When we go through things in our life, when we go through struggles, and I shared with you mine and Laura's testimony and what happened to us. That's what happened. That's our story. That's what happened. But you know, each and every one of you here, you've had things in your life 
you've encountered things. If you haven't, there's going to be a time in your life where you're going to encounter, encounter some difficult times in your life. That's just part of this, the result of this sin-cursed world that we are in. But every one of us are going to go through those things, but God's using these to make us perfect in Him. And then the, the second word here, because He says perfect and then established. Look in Colossians chapter number 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Colossians chapter number 2. Just a couple of pages over. Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 6. The, uh, the definition of, of established would be to fix, to settle, in a state for permanence, to make firm. In, uh, today, the word we would use would be established. Uh, Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. You know, it's always amazed me why there are so many Baptists that, that will uh, become Jehovah's Witnesses, or there's so many Baptists that will convert to these other denominations and these other religions. Why is that? Because if someone that has been raised in a Baptist church, they've been raised under the, the reading of God's Word and the authority of God's Word and the teaching of God's Word, why is it that they go and they'll be tossed about with every wind of doctrine? Because the Bible tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here in verse number 7, is telling us, uh, verse 6 tells us after you've been saved that we're to walk in Christ. And then verse 7 tells us that we need to be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Church, we need to be, God, we go through these things so that we can be perfect and complete in Him, but we need to be established in the faith, in the Word of God, so that we know, not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. And it's also to know, it's also very important, not only to know what we believe and why we believe it, but we also need to know where to find what we believe and why we believe. We need to familiarize ourselves with God's Word, familiarize ourselves with God's Word and know where in God's Word is. Uh, one time I remember I was a young young man, young teenager actually, and a guy, uh, we got in a discussion. I was up at the coffee shop with my granddaddy in Newburn, and the topic of eternal security came up, and a few different biblical topics came up. And uh, we, there was some discussion, and I remember I was, you know, we were all sitting there talking, and uh, I got, I, there was a lot of questions that I knew the answers to because I'd been taught that but I didn't know why. So that really encouraged me. And I went home and I remember getting my Bible and a, and a whole list of verses and I started memorizing scriptures of those things of what the Bible teaches. And it's important to know that so that we can be, be rooted and grounded and established in the faith. And then the third word here, he says strength. And look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. So why is it that Christians suffer? 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 Here he's talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. In verse number 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7, it says, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I, this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, now look at this phrase, he says, most gladly, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then in verse 10, he says, therefore I take pleasure 
in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Or then am I strong? The Apostle Paul is saying here, because of the thorn in the flesh and because what God allowed him to have, God's grace was sufficient for him. God was able to manifest his strength through the Apostle Paul, which was a, a part of him being humble because of the things that God had showed him. And he says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. How can a person get to a point in their life where they can glory in their infirmities? And then he said in verse 10, therefore I, take, uh, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. And he says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. How can someone get to that point where they're taking pleasure in it and they're glorying in these things that are happening to them in their life? Well, that takes a surrendered, yielded life to the Holy Spirit of a Savior who is doing a mighty work in a completion and, and conforming someone to the image of Jesus Christ, like we read about in Ephesians chapter 4, of rooted and grounded up like we read in Colossians chapter number 2, and being established in the faith so that He can strengthen us. And He allows us to go through these things in our life so that we'll become perfect, so that we'll be established, so that He can strengthen us. Because Paul said here, for when I'm weak, then am I strong because of what God was doing in his life. And then to settle you, Colossians chapter number <clears throat> excuse me, Colossians chapter number one, verse 23 says, "If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I Paul and made a minister, God wants us to be settled. He wants us to be settled in the things that we have to encounter, the things that we have to encompass in our life because of the things that we have to go through. Yes, He wants to make us perfect. He's wanting to, to establish us. He wants to strengthen us so that we can be settled in Him. But look in, ver in our text verse. We were in 1 Peter chapter number 5. So I told you that I was preaching backwards. So I just gave you the answer uh, to the question. I gave you the closing part of the service at the beginning. And in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 10 is what our text verse. But look at verse number 11. He says here, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, Brother uh, Steve, you mentioned when we were here back in the, the summer uh, at the teen war, and uh, what, what, it was a great time. I enjoyed that so much. But uh, preaching to the teens, uh, I remember I was preaching on why were we created, and I talked to the teens a lot of, uh, about that. And I, I, when I get an opportunity to talk to teenagers, I always try to uh, talk about some type of that along that line because... That's something that, that teenagers struggle with. I believe that's something that even adults struggle with. Why is it that we're here? Why were we created? And I went over about why we were created for God's good pleasure. And, and even, and I would even say now, you know, my, my dad said used to, they'd knock on doors back in the 70s and the 60s, 70s, 80s, and you could lead people to the Lord. But that's not the case now because uh, you can go out here down the street and you'll, you'll encounter young people that don't even know who David and Goliath are. They don't know who Jesus Christ is. Forty years ago, that wasn't the case. Everywhere in the Bible Belt, everyone pretty much knew who Jesus Christ was. That's not the case now. But he says here, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And uh, you don't have to turn there, but I want to call your attention to a verse in Isaiah chapter 43. It's Isaiah 43, 7, and you, you can look it up sometime. It says, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. And I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Every one of us were created for his glory. 
We were created for a purpose. So in verse number 11, he says, To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Isaiah 43 verse 7 tells us that every one of us was created for his glory. Uh, if you look at Revelation 4.11, says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise. God's worthy to receive that. So in verse number 11 of 1 Peter chapter 5, after he tells us why Christians suffer and, and why we go through those things to make us perfect, to establish, to strengthen, to settle you, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, there's a couple of, a couple of instances in the New Testament that I want to point out to you. Uh, the first being in John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. Now, my wife, she writes all of my sermons I always joke about. So whenever we, uh, we go to a church that's uh, far distance, then those are longer sermons. And churches that are close by, those usually tend to be shorter sermons because she gives me the sermon on the way down here is what I always joke. Um, but we won't, we won't be, be long here tonight. But I do want to, to, to tie this together, what we're, what we're going over about why Christians suffer. In John chapter number 11, you recall the story, uh, not the story, I've, I've, I've tried to get away from saying biblical story because of what the atheists, how they have uh, used that against us, the historical account in John chapter number 11 of what happened here with Lazarus. But look in verse number 4. I'm not going to read the whole story or the whole historical account. You're familiar with it. But verse number 4 says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. What happened in John chapter number 11 was the purpose so that Jesus Christ could be glorified. Look at one more place with me in John chapter number 9, just a couple of pages back. John chapter number 9. This is actually something that the Lord, this in John chapter 9, is a, this was something that the Lord gave me right after we lost our little girl, uh, Rosalind. Uh, God gave me this passage about, a, I guess it's probably about a week afterwards. Uh, and I remember reading it and, and seeing that and what a blessing it blessed my heart. In John chapter number 9, look at verse 1. It says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, they thought that it was because this man was blind. Obviously, he had sinned or that his parents had or something else uh, bad had happened because of this unfortunate situation. In verse 3, he says, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. You know, there's a man that was born blind in John chapter number 9. And the disciples are saying, Lord, who did sin, him or his parents? And Jesus said, no one. No one had done anything to cause this. But that the works of God might be manifest in him. We have an historical count right now in John chapter number 9, 2,000 years later, because a man went through some unfortunate situations in his life. Because I, I would submit to you, I, I'm sure, I don't know this for sure, but I'm most certain that this man, when he was a kid, he would have loved to have been out playing with the other kids. And he would have loved to have been able to do the things that the other children that were on his street were able to do. But he wasn't able to because of the blindness that he had. But he tells us that God allowed this man to be born blind so that later in his life, the Lord Jesus Christ could have a miraculous event and there's a recording of it in history because of what that man bore upon his life that Jesus Christ, the works of God, might be made manifest in him. And that's exactly what it tells us in verse number 3. So in John chapter number 11 with Lazarus, it was that the works of God might be made manifest. In John chapter number 9 with this man that was born blind... 
he didn't, that wasn't anything that he had chosen upon himself. That wasn't anything that I, I'm certain that he wasn't, didn't desire that. That wasn't something he wanted to, to have. But God allowed him to carry that so that he could heal him. And then, <coughs> excuse me, uh, think, looking back at Scripture, you can think of a couple of other instances. You remember in Genesis uh, where the, the, uh, Joseph, the, his father made him the coat of many colors. You remember his brother sold him, uh, and they put him in the pit, and they, he was sold into slavery. And uh, you know, Joseph, at the end of Genesis chapter number 50, the Bible tells us that he was, uh, that God, they meant it to evil, but God meant it for his good. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. That wasn't any, that wasn't any fault of his, but God was wanting to do a work in his life. And in all, reading the whole account, we see how God brought all that together at the end of the book of Genesis. Also, if you, uh, if you look at Psalms 106, talking about the children of Israel, God led them to the Red Sea where they had nowhere to turn, but that God's work, it's, a, it's Psalm, I have the verse here. He says, He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So He led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and He saved them from the hand of them that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. All of this was because that He might make His mighty power to be known. That's Psalm 106, verse 8. The Lord allowed the children of Israel to go right up to that Red Sea to make His mighty hand and His power to be made known. And then number three, Mark chapter number five, uh, is that others may see him. Mark chapter number five. <clears throat> so we see what happened with Lazarus in John chapter number 11. We see what happened with a blind man in John chapter number nine. And I want to, to call your attention here to Mark chapter number five and, and uh, verse number one. The Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could tame him, no, not with chains. And I want you to look at the wording of this whole passage very, very carefully. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, look at that, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now, in this passage, we see verse number one that says they came over unto the other side of the sea of the uh, of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes and there was a man and, and and when he was come out of the ship immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit so in verse number two it says that he immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs now on this mountainside, if you have, Laura and I, we have, uh, we have missionary friends who are in Israel. They need prayer. We've been in touch with them this week. And, uh, but I've, I've actually reached out to this missionary, and he's actually sent me pictures of this area. And uh, this is uh, it's beautiful pictures. But you can see this, this big sea. You can actually see the other side of, of that area. And they don't know the exact place, but the missionary said this is very close uh, to where this took place. 
And on this area, you can stand on one side, you look at the other side, and there's these big mountains. And we know by reading chapter number 5 that those tombs were in the sides of those mountains where this maniac of Gadara was. And he was living in those tombs always, night and day. He was tormenting himself. They would try to bind him. No man could bind him. But I want you to look in chapter number 4 and verse number 35. So we're going to back up. We're in chapter 5, but let's jump back to chapter number 4 to get the whole context of what we're reading. In Mark chapter number 4, verse 35, it says, And when the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Well, we just read in verse number 1 of chapter 5, as they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. So he's saying, Let us pass over to the other side. Now, remember, you can see from one side of this to the other. It's a long distance. It's not, not an area that you would want to swim, but it is visible. And he says, let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and they say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now, verse number 37 says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. Now, with these disciples who were well-educated men, they were fishermen, they, they're out here, and all of a sudden this storm comes up. Was there anything that the disciples had done of their own fault to encounter this storm? No. This, this, is, this just happened. Matter of fact, Jesus is back there asleep. And he says in verse number 39, it says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, and I want you to look at this phrase, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. By reading this account, we can see that this maniac of Gadara who was living in the tombs at the edge of that sea could see across to the other sea and could see a ship that was coming across. And a storm came up. And there was a man that stood upon the ship when the storms of life encompass them and the waves tossing them forward, back and forth, and the disciples don't understand what's going on. And when those things happen in your life and we don't understand what's going on and we're going through a storm, there was a maniac across the other side who was able to visibly watch the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, stand on that ship and say, Peace be still. And immediately there was a great calm. And that maniac knew who was tormented day and night and had never been able to be bound with the chains and the fetters, that maniac knew that if that man could say, peace be still, and that there was a great calm, when, a, when Jesus Christ came to the other side of that ship, that maniac was able to go down there and say, I want what you can give me. Because of the storm that the disciples went through on, the, on, on that sea, it wasn't about the disciples. It wasn't for the disciples. 
I, believe, I wholeheartedly believe that storm that they went through in chapter number five was for the mania, I mean, in chapter number four was for the next chapter in, in chapter number five with the maniac of Gadara so that he could watch the disciples go through a, a very hard time in their life, not for the disciples' sake, but so that Jesus Christ would have the opportunity to come out and to manifest his glory and say, peace, be still, and there was a great calm, and this maniac who knew that if he can calm the storms and if he can say peace be still and the winds and the seas obey him, then he can calm the storms in his life. I say that because I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going to go through. But I do know this, that the things that we go through in our life, it's not about us. It may be, about, it may be for others. It may be that others can see Christ in us. It may be because God's trying to do a work. And, you know, we may never understand. We may never know. We may not understand. I had to, when I was serving as youth minister, I had to preach a 16-year-old girl, girl's funeral that was in my youth group. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do, a terrible time, preached at the Dyer County High School. A, a, a hard, hard time. I, I, you know, talking to her mother, I, could, I, don't, I can't answer that question. Why did God call that young girl home? I don't know the answer to that question, but I believe one day in heaven we'll see that girl knew the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. She had a, a good testimony of salvation. I believe one day in heaven we'll see, we'll understand. I don't know why you have to, had to go through the hard things in your life, but I know this, according to this, uh, this passage here, those disciples went through a very bad storm in their life of no fault of their own, but God used it to reach a man that was on the other side of the sea who needed some help. So whatever God's doing in your life, whatever God's doing in my life, He wants to make us perfect. He wants to make us complete. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to settle us so, so that we can be like Christ. And then verse number 11 of 1 Peter chapter 5, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever because it's not about us. It's not about the suffering that we have to go through. You know, working with these children's homes that we work with, we see so many, we see so many uh, situations that are unfortunate with those kids. And, you know, it breaks my heart because I don't, I don't understand why did God allow me to be raised with the testimony that I have, with the parents that I have, in the area that I was raised in. Uh, with, I mean, nine, going to church nine months before I'm born, I have, you know, born with a, a Bible in my hand. Why did God allow that for me? And then we look at some of these kids in the children's homes uh, like Chella and Jose and these that we know so closely and the, the, the stories that they have in their backgrounds. I don't understand. I don't know why that is. But I know this, that God saved, us, God's, God saved me at a young age. He saved my wife at a young age. And we have a responsibility. And if you're here tonight and you were raised in a Christian home, you have a responsibility. We have much more of a responsibility because what God has given us and what, what He has for that we can reach others and so that we can help those that don't have the gospel, that don't have the truth, that we can do and we can serve. One more place and I'm done. Romans, uh, John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. I don't understand. I don't always know why we go through the things, but I do know according to God's word that all things do work together for good. 
to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I do know that to whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. I do know in Ephesians chapter number 4 that we go through these things till we all come into the perfect man in the unity of the body of Christ. I do know that the Apostle Paul with a thorn in the flesh that he did not choose, I do know that he was able, according to God's Word, he was able to find glory in those infirmities. And he was able to take pleasure in those things. I do know in John chapter number 11 with Lazarus when Jesus healed him, according to God's Word, that happened so that God's work could be, that, that God's work could be made manifest and that Jesus Christ might be glorified. We do know because of John chapter number 9 of that man that was born blind of no decision, no fault of his own, but that later in his life that God's work might be made manifest. And we do know because of Mark chapter number 5 and chapter number 4 that the disciples went through a hard storm in their life so that the maniac of Gadara could see Jesus Christ do a mighty work and he would desire and that man was reached and was touched by the Savior and his life was changed because of what they went through. In John chapter number 12, look in verse number 27. Now this is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Now this is the Lord Jesus Christ talking, uh, uh, talking here. And he says, now this is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? And there's a question mark behind that because he's, there's a question. He says, Father... <clears throat> Save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. And look at this phrase, the first part of verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. I don't know what you're going through, but I know in verse number 27 when Jesus Christ got to a point and he said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Verse 28, he says, Father, glorify thy name. When we go to a point, we get to a point in our life and we don't know what to say. We don't know what to pray. We don't know what to do. We can say, Father, glorify thy name. And when your feet are stripped out from under you and you go through some hard times in your life and we don't understand why and we don't know why, you know what we can say? Father, glorify thy name. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Brother Hunter. I appreciate that message. Let's just go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, again, we thank you for opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, again, I pray for those requests that were mentioned early. Father, I pray that you be with each of them. Lord, I pray that you help us, guide us, direct us. Lord, I pray that you uh, be with those, again, who are suffering in uh, Israel. Lord, I pray that you, your will will be done there. God, again, give the protection to those who are right now in a danger. And Lord, again, uh, we just thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we got a few minutes. Let's